This entire season of Retronauts is fully funded by listeners like you thanks to Patreon. If you'd like to find out how you can help and get episodes a week in advance, head on over to patreon.com slash retronauts. Thanks and enjoy the show. This week on Retronauts, we say so long to Kay Bowser. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a brand new episode of Retronauts. This is your host for this one, Bob Mackey. Uh, today's topic is Super Mario 64. Before I continue, let's see who else is in the room today. As always, who's across from me? Pizza, pasta, spaghetti. It's and a Jeremy Parrish. For once, uh, your It's a Me, Jeremy Parrish uh, uh, introduction works on this right. episode. But I think the proper introduction for this one is to say, Wolf Pickles. Wolf Pickles. <laughs> Because that's that, what he isn't says. Isn't that what he says when you start a lot of uh, pickles? My, my friends and I were sure he said so long, gay Bowser, but we were also 14 in the 90s. So uh, <laughs> I think that's what most of the internet thinks. Yeah, actually. it's like he had to get – come on, Mario. We thought you were better Mario's than that. Mario's one divergence into 4chan's. <laughs> the K stands for Kelsey. It's Kelsey Bowser. Who else is here? Uh, hey, it's Henry Gilbert. I should. I feel like I should uh, try the voice too. It's a me, Henry. Yeah, that's, that's better than that mine. That was good. That was yeah. good. Yeah. And uh, who else is here? Well, it's a <clears throat> <laughs> it's a me, Daniel. Oh wow! Now I feel wow, bad. That I didn't like do it. Sounds like legit Italian. Well, mm. this know. is uh, this is a monumentous occasion. It's been two and a half years in Retronauts, and finally we have our third woman on the podcast. <laughs> oh my so god! We are so <laughs> wow. progressive and uh, metal right here. I expect we've, we've had four women now. Four now. Cat Bailey, Cat Nadia Bailey. Oxford. Oh, Nadia's been on it. Jen Frank. And, okay. and now Dan- Jen, Jen's been okay. on the podcast? Not, I meant, not I meant, since the reboot. I meant during the, since the reboot. That's oh. why I said two years. Oh, I see. Mm-hmm. So but pre-crisis, they, she did have Jen. Danielle might just be the second one. I, I expect a, uh, no, we had oh, uh, so Rachel right, from right, uh, right. Femicon Museum. Yeah. But I am expecting like a grant or something after this. So we'll see We'll see how that works out. Should, yeah, SJWs how, how are just ruining retronauts. <laughs> I'll bring in that cabal money, you know. But I, uh, Dan- Feminist cabal. Danielle is not here because she's a woman. She's on here because she suggested the topic. I sure and, did. And uh, she had some controver- a very, very controversial th- uh, piece on Polygon, which uh, I, ref- right, right. I refuse to read. No, that completely, <laughs> that completely wrong opinion. Oh, my gosh. Oh, um, my. Danielle, like, uh, we have to get this out of the way first. Uh, okay. what, what was your uh, shocking, uh, dan- I would say dangerous opinion? It was a dangerous opinion. It was a controversial opinion, and it uh, actually it was a video piece uh, that That's I right, did. That's right, yeah. And it it's was still about, an opinion, even if it's, it's in video. It's still an opinion, yes. Yeah, so it was actually my first video opinion piece as a video producer at Polygon. So this was a, an experiment for me. Um, I had been playing a lot of Rare Replay and Banjo-Kazooie specifically, which had been a favorite game of mine when I was young. It was I was 14 when it came out. I think the perfect kind of age to be at that time, and I was playing a lot of that. I was also playing a lot of Mario 64 because that just came out on virtual console as well. My opinion was that Mm -hmm. Banjo-Kazooie is a better game overall and a better game experience overall, and I'm seeing from the eyes in the room (laughs) that I am the only one who who believes this. We should should make you put your hand on a Bible first before you say this. (laughs) I definitely Uh, saw some grumpy tweets after you posted that uh, from colleagues in the game industry. A lot of really angry people. Yes, yes. Uh, Here's the thing, like, uh, this is not going to be about Banjo-Kazooie versus Mario. I don't want to talk about this. It's two hours of that. Yeah, it is two hours of that. It's inevitable. Get ready for screaming. and made a terrible mistake. 
mistake. There's going to be a table flip in here. So somewhere. many bridges are going to be burned. But <laughs> my my opinion is that uh, Banjo Kazooie is great. I think people associate the rare badness with later rare games like Donkey yes. Kong 64, mm-hmm. things like that. I love Banjo Kazooie. And I don't think it's better than Mario 64, but I think it is a really good game. And that's that's my I'll say my mm-hmm. piece. I think like it seemed like adult game journalists of the nineties were just sick of the rare, like googly eye, yeah, like sure. super British like rhyming and everything like that. And it <laughs> all they saw was just like, oh, these games are all the same. It's all a bunch of cutesy characters and collecting stuff. Well, and also that's, like that's true to a point. jokes about poop and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Farts which, and which culminated such. in um Conquer when yes. you when you fight the great mighty poo. When I when I replay Conquer's Bad Fur Day on Rare Replay, it reminded me of like Oh, this is every bad habit of theirs <laughs> in like times thirty. This in there this was game. a Matrix parody. I know it's not dated watch? at all. It's not <laughs> but I think like Danielle being on this podcast is going to be great because she can redeem herself in the eyes of people who <laughs> lost all faith in her. She's just going to be the contrarian opinion, isn't she? She's going to be like, "Oh, remember that crappy level where Mario has to jump? Boy, I hate that." <laughs> I, I want I want to prove the people wants to jump. <laughs> remember when he me. had to fly, stupid Mario? <laughs> Why didn't he get a bird or Yoshi in his backpack? But uh, <laughs> like, I want to show people you, you can you can like two things. You can you can yes. like you can't. It's not all it's no. not all binaries. No. Yes. The internet is binary. I guess so. I have to say, just in terms of sort of the argument I presented, just just so it doesn't seem as if I I came over as a child and I I threw a fit. My argument actually was that Mario 64 is infinitely more important and Banjo-Kazooie has no business being in the same sort of pedestal in terms of industry importance, but that it actually took that formula and improved upon it, mostly by adding in a lot of uh, adventure game sort of design elements. I would not more argue puzzles, against that. More things that were sort of interesting in, in that sort of vein. And I happen to be a huge fan of adventure games. So this really sort of scratched that itch for me, as well as doing all the fun jumping. And my other part of my argument, which is the part that's probably more controversial, was that I actually really enjoyed that you learn new moves throughout the game. And that sort of opened up the possibility space, as they say, or it gave you more verbs, as they say, mm-hmm. in game design, uh, that it sort of created a better feeling of progression because of that. Hmm. Now, I think I a lot of people that. will say Mario 64 is better for the opposite reason, that you have your tool set sort of at the very beginning and the game is designed sort of perfectly around that, but I prefer the more, you know, sort of adventure-oriented progression of I'm learning new things, I'm getting further, I'm getting further, so. Banjo-Kazooie is important for me because it was one of the first times I really stopped to think about video game design and why I hate a game. <laughs> like I, I picked it up, you know, when it came out. And was like, man, this game looks really cool, and I, you know, love Mario 64. This is supposed to be better than that. So this is going to be great. And I played it for a few hours and was like, I really hate this game. Why? Why does it make me so angry? <laughs> Jeremy was, and not... it wasn't the cuteness, but I was playing Klonoa at the same time I on see. PlayStation, uh, mm-hmm. and great that game. really threw it into relief because Klonoa is an extremely limited tool set, and it uses those elements like it explores each of those few elements to their utmost potential. And Banjo-Kazooie is just this kind of big, sprawling mess. The levels are big and expansive, but don't really have a lot in them in lots of parts. And the controls are really complicated, but I don't feel like you're accomplishing that much with with the the complications. It just, to me, it did not feel like a very refined and enjoyable experience. And I, you know, looked at that compared to Klonoa, and I just loved Klonoa so much more. But Klonoa is way cutesier than Banjo-Kazooie. Yeah. So it was not it was not like the try-hard machismo thing. It was just like, <laughs> no, this game is is better and and actually much more touching because it had mm-hmm. a better story too. Yeah, though I think I I think Klonoa is cuter in a way that I think 
Banjo is too Muppety. Like every, <laughs> yeah. they all have, they have big googly eyes. It's not, it's not, not Muppets. It's expert. like the off-brand Muppets. I guess. It's yeah. like the, the rejected yeah. Muppets, right. basically. Yeah. Or like on Pinwheel, I guess, or Eureka's Castle. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. I think, we, we, uh, we, we didn't have Jim Henson to make our Muppets for us, so we made <laughs> our own. Expensive. I think Jeremy's problem was he was not ready for the Willennium. He was not ready to get Jiggies That's for any so. reason. Yeah. I was not. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's getting and, jiggy with it. And now yeah, we're living much too white for Banjo Kazooie. <laughs> now we're living in the millennium, <laughs> and you're by still white prepared. British people. God, they are, aren't they? <laughs> so, so much whiter than me. Yes. So that was our sidebar. I thought it was an interesting discussion. You can like uh, Banjo Kazooie and Mario sixty four. I you do. Sure can. I, I don't. I, okay. You, you can, that could, that's also an option. <laughs> but I uh, really Jeremy got the full gamut here. I, I feel that Super Mario sixty four is more elegant and more important. Obviously, Banjo cannot exist without it. But Banjo does have has, has like two years of hindsight, uh, you know, going for it. So. Yeah. Let's let's just okay. Case closed. Okay, uh, it's a draw. Case it's a closed tie. in that you can feel many different ways. Yeah, you're allowed to have opinions. It's cool. <laughs> so our conclusion is no conclusion. I yes. forgot that this episode's about Mario 64. Oh, let's, right. let's talk about this game. And normally I break down things first, like who made it. That's kind of like a tradition now. And we've been doing these episodes that are kind of popular. You guys like them. Uh, we are doing like important games, doing a whole episode about an important game. And this game is incredibly important. And we'll talk about why in a second. But let's talk about the people behind this. We don't need to talk about them in great detail because we've already mentioned them many times in past episodes this year. We have, of course, uh, Shigeru Miyamoto, the director. If you don't know who he is, stop listening to Retronauts. Uh, <laughs> pop up on Wikipedia. Uh, it, I don't even know how you could not know this, but I'll forgive you. Just go to Wikipedia and do it. And we also have uh, Tezuka and Koizumi are the co-directors on this game. Uh, Tezuka obviously is like Miyamoto's partner in crime. Uh, they've been working together forever. They they worked on Mario Brothers, Legend of Zelda, things like that. And Koizumi is, is a newer talent. And by newer, I mean they hired him 25 years ago. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> so fresh. He's yeah. such a fresh talent at Nintendo. That whippersnapper. But uh, he, he directed uh, Mario Galaxy 1 and 2. So, he, uh, I mean, he, you, could, it's t- you could tell, like, he comes from that lineage. They didn't yeah. just get some random guy. Like, he, he's he was kind there. Of, he's kind of the lead designer for Nintendo E80 Tokyo. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, I got to he, did, he, did he work on Jungle Beat also? Because that I, was kind of that Tokyo's was, that was magnum that, opus, so, like yeah. the thing that made yeah. the rest of Nintendo say, "These guys are cool." They I gave think him it was Hayashida who directed that. Okay, mm-hmm. I know they gave him his own studio to to work on games, and that was the first game they made. And then from there, uh, the Galaxy games happened. But no, he's great. Obviously, Tezuka's great. We don't need to even say that he's amazing. Um, so, like the biggest question they had to answer during the development of this game was, "How do you make a 3D game?" Because they had only done it in fits and starts in very limited ways, like Star Fox. And maybe some of those weird Super FX games no one played, like the um, the one with the robots in Vortex it. And uh, Vortex is one, yeah. And there was a canceled one like called FX Fighter. Yeah, Stunt Race <laughs> FX. Yeah. And, and not all of those were done internally at Nintendo either. Uh, no, they weren't. I mean, it was Argonaut and other like British and European developers. But like, there are hints of what they wanted to do. Like in the canceled version of Star Fox 2, there are these like open like – open air like little like square fields you can run around in and go inside of like these bases and stuff. So there are hints at what they wanted to do, but really they had to figure out how to make a 3D game work. Um, and uh, like, I want to know from you guys where like, did you have experience with 3D games? Because this, in my opinion, and I don't know if this is controversial, but, like this is the first game to get a, to get exploring a 3D environment right. Like it felt natural. You weren't like a tank. You weren't controlling a vehicle. You were a human and Moving through these worlds was practically effortless, and I think making movement fun was their number one goal in what this game. Do, what do you consider a 3D game? Because I played a lot of first-person shooters at that point. Yes. Sorry, I mean <laughs> Doom clones. Let's let's say a <laughs> third. Yes. Let's say a, a, a 3D game with a third-person perspective. That, that's okay. a much different beast, I think. 
Do racing games count? Uh, with okay, now I'll clarify further. Uh, a, a 3D game with a humanoid, uh, non non car, non vehicle protagonist Jesus. and virtual like, fighter. Yeah. Oh, okay, Henry, <laughs> you're just being difficult. I played a virtual reality game starring Aladdin, and there was a, a flying carpet at Disney Quest in around 1995. I'm not sure if that completely counts. It was also a first VR experience. Oh, yeah, that yeah. might yeah. be a lot on, of firsts. That might be on Rails, one. I think. So, it might be. Yeah, yep. but in that I mean. Case, I had played games that had a 3D like environment, but this was the first one that I felt did it right. Like mm-hmm. it was immediately accessible. It wasn't like how do I turn? How do I move? It's just like no, you just move the stick in the direction you want to move. I mean, how did you guys feel about this when you first encountered it? Um, just like the the idea of moving around this 3D world with Mario. Um, I, I want to know because it was like we had never seen anything like this before. Yeah, we knew it I was think, coming. Uh, so I, I discovered. I mean, I knew Mario 64 was coming and was looking forward to it, but the first time I played it was shortly before launch at a Toys R Us kiosk. Yeah, think, me too. Yeah. I think the best description of my reaction would be shat myself. <laughs> I think so. It's, it's it hard was, to... It was uh, incredible. My yeah. mind was not just blown, but destroyed. If you go back in time 20 years, uh, there were a lot of messy pants. Uh, yep. <laughs> a lot of laundry being done that day. Like I remember uh, my friend had played it I hadn't played it yet. And I, all, I had all these questions for him because I had no idea how a 3D game worked. Like, how do you move? Like, where do you? How do you jump? Like, where? Like, how, how do you know where to go? Because all these things were not clear to me. Because the idea of a 3D game was still sort of like this this nebulous thing that I hadn't figured out yet. Um, Danielle, how about you? Like, where did oh, you man. encounter this? It was a KB Toys in Rhode Island, and I was 12 years old. Again, I, I I really was kind of the perfect age for a lot of the Nintendo 64 stuff, you know, for my childlike wonder to, to kind of be there, but also able to maybe analyze things a little bit more than a five or six year old, that sort of thing. Um, and my mind was blown and I had to be almost forcibly dragged from the kiosk. I was really, really into it. You know, I think I fell into the water and didn't mean to. And I was shocked that I didn't just die immediately, sort of in the castle It took years area. for Grand Theft Auto to figure that out. <laughs> yeah, definitely. They were behind the curve. Did you immediately, like, reserve a system or anything like that? Or were you just like, I, I, Mom, with this her, Christmas. With her extensive 8-year or 12-year-old salary. <laughs> yes, exactly. I, hey. It was definitely, Mom, I need this. And I, I didn't actually get a Nintendo 64 until March 97. I think it was a late birthday. Birthday present for me. My birthday is in February, so it wasn't too 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 long after launch. You know, six months or so after launch that I finally got my hands on the system that I would love. And actually, my first game for it was not Mario sixty four. It was Mario Kart sixty four. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, yeah, I also I definitely played it at Toys R Us, but and that was where I really fell in love with it. But I got so hyped for it. I think that was. The most hype I had been for a new system was the N64 in general. Like, Nintendo's advertising really took, got a hold of me. I remember reading, like, Next Gen Magazine in late 94. They're talking about the Ultra 64 is going to be the best thing ever. Look at look at Cruising USA. But <laughs> that, was, that was Next Gen doing their advertising for them. Just look yeah. at it. Uh, but then I – but, yeah, I saw the photos from Space World. And, and I actually – I think before it even was playable at Toys R Us – I knew there was one video game store in my Jacksonville, Florida area that imported the system and the and the game from Japan when it came out in the June of that year. <laughs> and they were doing a hard sell on me of it's like, look, it's only five hundred bucks, just get it now. You don't why wait till September? And my mom did not buy any of that, but um. <laughs> that's, that's a smart choice. Like, yeah, I mean, there was such an incredible amount of hype behind this because the 3D game was a new thing for us, an inevitable thing. But I remember seeing that ad. It was like on September 26, dinosaurs will fly, and it was it was Mario swinging Bowser around. It was like airbrush yes. art. It was not actual oh graphics, but it was like this is gonna happen. Like they really wanted to get you 
the hype for this because it was a, a their first 3D game it console. Was, it was airbrushed art. I remember seeing a lot of N64 ads that were the graphics because, I mean, that was kind of the whole it was, point. It was an approximation of polygons. It was like literally an artist rendering well, so was of the polygons. N64. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, wow. We're going there. Oh. Sorry. Um, it looks pretty good on Wii U. That's all I'll but say. But no, I mean, when I, when I first played it at that kiosk, uh, I actually said out loud, because it wasn't a cliche yet, this is like a living cartoon. I thought you would have said, Nintendo 64! <laughs> Time to change the system! <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, wow. But yeah, I was, I was at Toys R Us uh, for some reason with my girlfriend, and uh, we saw that, and we're both just like, <laughs> so crazy. And Nintendo knew that this was something new for people. They, they recognized that, and they very, very smartly made the introduction to the game this sort of open playground, like outside of Nintendo, Nintendo, outside of uh, Peach's Castle, is is almost completely hazard free. Like I guess you can drown there, but that's pretty much it. It's just a chance to run around, watch Mario jump and jump and do a super jump and go woohoo, <laughs> and climb on trees and go swimming under the bridge and poke around to the side and spin the camera and so forth. Like before you ever start playing the game, you have a chance to acclimatize yourself to how it works and how this. 3D space functions and how you move through it. It's amazing how much trust they gave people with such a new experience. Like, there was no, like, push this button to jump and then hit this way to run. It's just like, no, no, you, you're safe here. It's and fine. I, I love that they also felt the need to explain why it was 3D. It was because Lakitu was flying yes. around with a camera. Right. We will the get game, to that. The game isn't, oh, sorry. Yeah, but it's I okay. mean, like, you know, it, they knew it was, it was this sort of groundbreaking concept for their audience and they created a narrative explanation for the fact that yes it's no longer a side-scrolling Mario there's a story explanation for I, the I believe the polygons. term is diegetic Jeremy it's true it is <laughs> I don't want to scare people away I went to grad school okay let's move on with some hints and trivia and tips and tricks and uh, just some basic info I did a lot of uh, reading of interviews about this game and there there are a few out there that are interesting um Mainly these things come out during I Wada Asks or I Wada Asks um, Q&As just out of nowhere. Like here's a Super Mario 64 thing that we're just dropping on you Mm -hmm. now. So like the game was going to have goalposts, but um, they decided that would make the world seem too linear. They wanted players to explore these worlds and have freedom, so they got rid of that idea. And this Mm -hmm. is confirmed by Iwata. This game was going to be a two-player game with Mario and Luigi exploring the castle like via a split screen. But that was too much for like such an early primitive N64 game Mm -hmm. to handle, so they dropped it. But they really regret doing uh, dropping that because they they had these great dreams of this super amazing two-player game with Mario and Luigi splitting up and like oh man I can't imagine how great I mean it's still great but I can't imagine how, how different it would be in, in that case you know? how many more second controllers they would have <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah day definitely. One. that's why Mario Party was created <laughs> <laughs> I thought uh, that was it was created to flay the skin off our hands. Well, it was created to break your controller and then like get a new one. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Uh, so yeah, just uh, some basic trivia. Like uh, this game was developed by a team of fifteen people, That's which is crazy. Insane. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I actually I interviewed Kozumi uh, uh, for Super Mario 3D World, and I asked him, "What did you? Well, how's this feel so different from?" Developing, you know, 3D World with like an army of people as opposed to the t- small teams you had even on the N64. And he said like, yeah, he did kind of miss it. And that he himself built the Yoshi sp- – uh, the Yoshi – in it's the amazing. game, for, yeah, just by himself, he did it. Instead did it over of, lunch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, this is come, uh, from an interview with uh, Giles, or is it Giles Goddard? 
Giles, Giles Goddard. He's he's very alliterative in that case. G uh, Goddard. Yeah, G Goddard. He, <laughs> Mr. He, Goddard. He was a, a European, I take it, probably working on the game, and he said like the environment working at an, on Nintendo game in that era was like no talking. It was like working in a library, like much different than the Western development uh, kind of atmosphere. And um, uh, we probably know this from other interviews, but the first thing they worked on was getting Mario's movement right. They did not make mm-hmm. anything else in the game until that part was settled. Uh, and I think that's what that garden is. Like, that's that's their test bed. And I think that's a Miyamoto thing. Isn't that right, Jeremy? That, like, he makes, like, a test area. And until that's perfect, he won't move on. Um, I I've don't know heard. that he does that every single time. But it just that's seems definitely, like a, yeah. that is a part of the Nintendo discipline is to, or the, the Miyamoto EAD discipline, to make sure that the feel of play is good. Because if you don't enjoy controlling your character, if you don't enjoy movement, if you don't enjoy what you're doing, what the hell is the point? Yeah, hmm. go play so Bubsy many, 3D. So, yeah, so yeah. many developers <laughs> miss that. Yeah. They don't They don't get the importance of, of nailing that fundamental element. But the best games are built around the limitations and capabilities of the player character. Like, what can you do? I mean, you know, I go back to Castlevania as a classic example. People talk about that game's so stiff, but, you know, the game world is built around the arc of your jump, the limitations of how Simon can move. Enemy placement is kind of, you know, reflects the limitations of his attacks. That's good design. That's, like, really getting the fact that, hey, it's it's really about the player experience. And, uh, yeah, certainly the Mario games reflect that very much mm-hmm. and that's yeah. what makes them great. In that same interview he talks a little bit about sort of Miyamoto almost being locked in a room almost <laughs> and, and just playing with the controller and just playing with the movement for, for months at a time until it, it felt right which to me seems like you have a team of 15 and the, the director is just so focused on that element. I mean exactly what you're saying. It just speaks right. to just how that's the essential thing about a Mario game, the you know, essential thing about a platform. It's great you brought that up because people naturally assume that the controller was designed for Mario 64. That wasn't the case, but he was so invested in this project that it couldn't help be, uh, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Informed. Developed in, yeah. in parallel. Co-developed, yeah, yeah, almost. Like he had Mario 64 in the brain. Like he had other games he was working on at the time, including like um, Zelda, which was starting development <laughs> like around this time. And I think Zelda was being delayed so long that uh, in, according to this interview, they, they moved some of the puzzles from Zelda into Mario because it's like we can mm. use this content because Zelda's not going to be up until next year or something, but really wow. it was much longer. That explains the Triforce level in Mario 64. Yeah, yeah. And, and where Mario uh, gets a sword. Right. And it was the, weird. Yeah. And the timeline. So let's talk about that for the next hour. <laughs> Split Mario time. Timeline uh, is is all reset at the end of Mario Galaxy anyway. Thank God. Yeah. Oh my. That, <laughs> congratulations. God congratulations. Congratulations. You won, Shinji. What a downer. <laughs> so, uh, yes. Okay. So, again, we talked about the camera. Even, even the developers were like, what do we do with this camera? So, the first uh, idea for the game was like, let's have fixed camera angles. It'll be like an isometric game. So, I, I guess if that happened, British people would like Mario more. That's right, British people. I got your number. I'm just is, kidding. Uh, is Mario RPG a big thing over in the UK? Ah oh, man, it should be. If it's I not. mean, they I'd have... love to see like a Spectrum remake of Mario RPG. <laughs> <laughs> Those characters look about as stupid as rare characters. Yeah. Whoa! Oh, Ouch! Fire! Ouch! Gino's Ouch. okay, but everybody else. And cut the hostility in this room with a knife. Telling so... you. <laughs> So uh, some things, okay, we're going to talk, get talking about the game. I like to get this trivia out of the way first, but, like, apparently even Miyamoto didn't like the C buttons. Like, much, much <laughs> later in life, he he said he regrets he didn't have another uh, D-pad where the C buttons were on the controller. Would that have made it too much like a uh, Virtual Boy? Where they're like, oh, oh, we don't want to make it look like a Virtual Boy controller. Yeah. Maybe that was part of the reason why they didn't go for that, but that, that wasn't be. in the interview. But, that was um, so close in time, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. like was, a year later. one year. Yeah. yeah. One year difference. Mm-hmm. Oh. What I, I mean, R&D... R&D 1 was working out both probably at the same time, so I can see them 
regretting that, right? Uh, was R&D 1 responsible for the design of the N64? I think uh, consoles usually didn't come from R&D 1. Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah. Like uh, Masayuki Uemura was not R&D 1 when he designed the NES and so on and so forth. Okay, you are correct. They were, they were more the handheld folks. Fine. <laughs> Not to be too particular. But. So apparently the camera was the hardest thing for them to get right because it's like, we don't know what to do this with this camera either. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess during development, they found that Sega patented the ability to switch cameras on the fly, which <laughs> the, the, inter- the interview says, like, there are so many patents for things that everyone does, like putting an image in front of a bit of a, sorry, putting an image in front of a bitmap is like <laughs> apparently a patented thing. Wow. Like, layering, like using layers in Photoshop, I guess, is, is a patented thing. But they were worried about breaking that patent. So they're like, let's have the camera follow Mario. Let's do this. And that really freed them up and really informed the design of the game because now now they can take Mario anywhere, not just, you know, where that camera above him would follow him, you know, Thanks, appropriately. Thanks, trolls. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, Nintendo had the, they've had the uh, deep, D-pad patent until like a couple years ago. It finally went into public domain, and yeah. Namco I think still has the one for having. A, I think that just expired. It did. Oh, go I nuts, hope so. people. Yeah, put those put games on loading screens now. Yep. Everybody, start making oh, your games on CDs now, so you have the excuse. <laughs> Let's travel back in time. Single speed drives. Come on, do it. And something interesting I read and that will really inform like later Mario games is that uh, Miyamoto and Iwata both believe that from 64 onwards, Mario 64 onwards, the audience was uh, shrunk like in a huge significant way because mm. they said like some people, no matter how uh, accessible you make it, they cannot understand 3D gameplay, which is why I think like from Galaxy onwards, they, they have just been going back to basics. Like Mario 3D World is a 3D Mario game, but not really. I mean, you're kind of fixed it's to one very plane. isometric. Yeah, and there is a goalpost in that too. So it's like you know where you have to go. So I think even now that uh, that concern is still there because I know people who really they stop playing games with 3D games because um, that was just too much for them. Mm-hmm. That's no. fascinating to me because uh, this is a weird story, but I, I had an ex who had never played video games before, and she was a doctor, so she was really, really good with sort of hand-eye coordination. She could play 3D games beautifully because she'd never played 2D games, but ever putting a 2D game or a 2D platformer in front of her, she would just fail wow. miserably. So it was almost as if like people were trained on 2D games, and that sort of gave them bad habits for 3D, even though 3D is you know sort of the world we actually <laughs> live in in the real world and understand as human beings. I, I think a lot of the problems with 3D gaming have to do with um, just how difficult difficult it is to communicate depth and positioning and location uh, on a flat display. I mean, you, you have, you know, like 3DS, 3D screen to kind of give that to you. But 3D visually, visualization has kind of become a bust. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a, a well-made game can get that across, but it is difficult to put someone at the edge of a platform and have them look out at this expanse and make them understand, like, here's how far forward you need to leap to make it to this point. So Mm -hmm. I don't think it's just a matter of training. I think it it does have a lot to do with just what can be conveyed with the technology we have available. Sure. Yeah. Maybe Uh, VR will change that. Yeah, that's possible. I'd read read similar statements from Nintendo before. Uh, They said that in... um, Mario Galaxy 2, in Japan at least, came with a DVD of, like, here's what a 3D game is, like, re-explaining it. They were, 
I think they were concerned that they had gotten back a lot of Mario fans with the new Mario Brothers game, and so they were worried of them playing this again and once again going like three dimensions. What the no was, way? Was that the well, first like, game? Galaxy Two was so difficult. Yeah, too. that was a hard yeah. game. <laughs> was it the first uh, game that they had the "We'll beat the level for you" uh, power up? Oh, I think is, so. Is that it? Yeah, yeah. 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 I think so. No, Galaxy Two. Galaxy Two yeah. has cosmic. Uh, it has like the star version of Rosalina show up and say, "Here's what you should do." If you fail enough, but she doesn't play the level. Yeah, okay. Super Mario Brothers Wii was the first one where Luigi would show up and be like, "That's what I'm thinking yeah, of." Yeah, okay. let me beat the game for you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Why'd you pay money for this? And then it was a Golden Kong in uh, <laughs> in uh, Donkey Kong Country right. Returns, I believe. That thing you talked about about uh, the 3D space, like visualizing it, Jeremy. It's interesting. Like in one of these interviews I read, like Koizumi, it was his rule that like every uh, every character in the game must cast a shadow underneath them even mm. if it doesn't make sense according to the lighting of the room that was like their like ground rules like characters need these mm-hmm. to navigate which is really cool like I, I don't think a lot of people would do that they would want to sacrifice that for realism or like photorealistic graphics or whatever you could get in 1996 on the N64 <laughs> I mean uh, it would be like Jurassic one. Park man oh god no 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 <laughs> Toy Story oh no both Toy Park <laughs> Toy Park Good. when the toys come to life so that was lame. Uh, let's no, talk. No, that, that would be terrifying. Actually, <laughs> yeah. well, uh, that, that was pretty much Smash Brothers. That is that is true. Yeah, Smash Brothers. <laughs> Now we're talking about Mario 64. Finally, we can talk. This is basically a freeform discussion. I have some notes, things I want to hit. But if you guys have anything you want to say about it, jump in. Uh, I do want us to argue a bunch. So this game came out in June <laughs> of uh, 96 in Japan and September of 96 in the U.S., which is like the shortest gap, I think, in a, in a Mario game that we've uh, we've seen since like the first one, maybe. To right? date, it was the yeah. smallest gap, I think. Because we had to wait like 18 months for yeah, like Mario, Mario 3. 3. Yeah, mm-hmm. crazy. Yeah, um, and Super Mario Super Mario World was um I want to say about 9 months, something like that. Yeah, like uh, November the, to the, August. The, yeah, you're right. That's right. So I did want to talk about uh Mario's movement in the game because like uh just playing around with this game on the Wii U Virtual Console, I noticed that like he is more versatile than most characters in a 3D game even today, even 20 years later. There yes. are so many things you can do with his movesets, like what, uh, like what do you guys? How do you feel about his actual moveset and how complex it is? And a lot of this is actually borrowed from Donkey Kong '94. Like mm-hmm. they were just previewing these moves, like the triple jump and the uh, the handstand. Well, like he, even he his can't little handstand. pose at the end, like oh, I did yeah. it, perfect. Yeah, and the butt stomp is back. This game borrows a few things from Yoshi's Island in a very mm-hmm. smart way. I mean, um, I love just doing the slide jump across levels. It is the yes. most fun thing ever. It's like the, the Pegasus boots of Mario. Like <laughs> that's how you travel. You don't travel any other way but that. And it's fun to do like daredevil runs. Like I'm gonna play Bowser just sliding my way through it. Um, how do you guys so feel good. about the the move sets of Mario? I mean, hopefully I didn't I didn't steal the best one. <laughs> I think it's it's absolutely beautiful. It's it's so rich and and I do even though I, I argued against this in that other video. I I really do love how well designed the game is around that move set. It feels perfectly suited to everything he can do. And there's so much in this game that you can do that you know, just just sort of th- thinking about. 
the move set specifically and sort of how that sort of enters into what you're you're doing. Like I remember when I first entered the Hazy Maze Cave, I was blown away first by, okay, you need to do a specific kind of jump to go on the left path. And otherwise you can go on the right path and kind of do other things. And if you kind of follow that left path all the way through, you find a dinosaur, you know, in an underground cavern. There are all these secrets and surprises that just sort of come up at you just because you're playing the game, because you're doing all these weird jumps and all these other things. It's it's really the kind of game where those surprises and those moments are going to stick with me, you know, till my deathbed, I feel like. I'll be like, oh, I remember. I remember the dinosaur in the cave. I saw a dinosaur once. Sure you did. Take your pills. <laughs> yeah, that's basically, yes. Uh, yeah, the movements, I totally bought into immediately, like, just all the jumping. I I, I was a huge junkie of uh, Donkey Kong 94, and so nice. I totally recognized his, his, his movements. But I also just like the his ability to crawl, which wasn't even that, like, needed, really, unless <laughs> no. you were... Unless you were afraid of, like, walking off a plank in a dangerous spot or a really thin plank. But I also, like, it's talking about the hype. I got so into it. There was this promotional VHS that you could oh, rent for yeah. free from oh Blockbuster. Thanks for bringing that up, ball. by the way. Yeah. And, yeah, I, it was about all N64 games, but Super Mario 64 is a big part of it because they had, like, four other games to talk about. <laughs> but I just remember Ken Lobb was so, like, in your face, like, look, man, it's analog controls. Do you even know what that means? Look, here he is tiptoeing, and he's walking, and he's running. You couldn't do that before. <laughs> and, and, yeah, I, I, I really did love that, though. I also thought Mario got a little aggro in this game because he was, like, punching and kicking. Yeah, like, he can straight up true. punch dudes in the face in this mm-hmm. game, which is uh, surprisingly I, I violent. I assume that's because it's more difficult to jump on a Goomba in 3D. Yeah. yeah. Like, you have that option, but it's much more difficult, and it's far more intuitive to just run up to it and punch it. Yeah, that's also why you need, like, the butt stop because you just want to say, like, mm. drop immediately. Yeah. Like, yeah. you can't mm-hmm. judge where you're going to fall. And uh, I... They got rid of the punching. They got rid of all the punching and stuff. In uh, it was 3D Land was the first time that there was a 3D Mario without that. And yeah. it was because they brought the tail back and uh, you just I, sweep. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I interviewed Hayashida about it. and He said that another reason was that he thought you could gauge jumps a bit better in this yeah, one. It has, it has a fixed perspective. So yeah, it makes it was a big difference. Yeah. So you didn't need you didn't need the ability to punch dudes just to make up for that. Yeah, I believe the Z targeting in Zelda was an answer to that. Like they were they were upset that like players lost track of enemies because it is very easy to lose track of enemies. Thankfully, the areas aren't very crowded with enemies, so you have a lot of room to maneuver around them. But yeah, and um, do you have anything to talk about the moves, Jeremy? I'm sorry. Yeah, you didn't even on. ask. Yeah, um, please tell us about Mario. There, there's there's a lot to moves. there's a lot to unpack about his moves because yeah, this game is all Nintendo about Nintendo was really res- I mean, you know, when they designed Mario's skill set, uh, it wasn't just a a single motive design, you know, driving it. It was it was a response to many things, not only the move into 3D, but also the advent of analog control. Yes, and so you have a whole lot of new abilities being kind of crammed into Mario, but all done in a very intuitive way. Um, to me, like one of the reasons Mario 64 stands as sort of a, you know, like the the, the, the goalpost, the, the, you know, pointing the way for 3D game design is because in the same sense that Super Mario Brothers had amazing physics for Mario that were just so much more advanced than any other uh, platform hero prior to that, and you know that that's, that other developers had a really hard time duplicating. Uh, Mario mm-hmm. sixty four gave you that same sense of control and versatility, 
And, you know, Henry mentioned tiptoeing and so forth. But you could, you know, like they, they did a great job of introducing those abilities into the stage. Like you learn to tiptoe when you walk past the piranha plants that are sleeping and you don't want to wake them up. So, you know, you, you start to kind of come up with these uh, these scenarios where you have interesting and inventive gameplay applications where you, you can solve them by controlling Mario in a different way. So just as you know, you have that sort of playground at the beginning to get you used to the basics like running, jumping, triple jumping, climbing. You have levels that are very thoughtfully designed around other, other abilities, other applications, like other ways that you can manipulate and maneuver Mario. And you know, the game is just really built around sort of uh, teaching you to master Mario's abilities in a very natural, gentle progression. And then, you know, in the second half of the game, just kicking your ass and <laughs> saying, does. "You better have learned, yeah. Yeah. right? You're gonna get all, you're gonna get all the stars and TikTok clock, buddy. You better Ugh. bust your ass." That's, like, that's right. Yeah, like the very the very first boss you fight, it's like, no, no, you run behind the enemy. It's like that's something you didn't think about before, like literally mm-hmm. running behind an enemy. You know, not yeah, just you like on the that. other side. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's it's really difficult to lose against the big bomb bomb or bo- King Bob bomb or whatever he's called. But it, it's also very hard to, to win against him until you get the idea there. So it's yeah. kind of like a an almost but not quite um, tutorial element, you know, where you're 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 not at a lot of risk, and you're kind of given your time, you're given the time you need to master the moves and, and learn to think in the proper way. Yeah, it's it's like Bowser training because you'll be doing this three <laughs> times with a guy that will shoot fire at you and stomp on you yeah, and stuff Bowser like that. Bowser training wheels. <laughs> and King of Bomb doesn't even do like direct damage. He, no, he just picks he'll, you up. He'll pick you up and throw you like, now nah, come on, buddy. Time to. Though I do think it's. If you throw him off the mountain, that should be an instant win instead of him popping no, up saying, he's like, like, hey, you hey, cheated. That's, yeah, that's <laughs> against the rules. That's not how this works. It's unsportsmanlike conduct. Yeah. Uh, I, I have to say about the moveset as well, one part or one thing that, that sort of shows just how much player expression was was respected in this and, and that idea of you can play things different ways is respected in this is there is a uh, Let's Player who, who does sort of glitch runs and he'll beat levels without ever pressing the A button. Things like that. Or just yes. <laughs> using Mario's weirdest moves to sort of, you know, do objectives and it's kind of incredible that the game itself allows for that sort of freedom. There, there's a, a really great sense of invention in Mario 64. Um, it's not really so much about his moves here, but um, you know, you can tell that working in 3D space was something that was as novel and exciting for Nintendo's designers as it was for players who were playing the game for the first time. And there is a level of just kind of like, let's try new things yeah. that I, I honestly feel has been kind of missing from from subsequent Mario games. They're yeah. more refined. Like, I mean, I would not impugn Mario Galaxy because, you know, those games are – they're just full of great ideas – but it, it always kind of feels a little more like, yeah, you know, this is how 3D games work. Whereas in Mario 64, not everything works as well as it should, but you really get a sense of, of like, let's let's explore the possibilities. Let's try new things yeah. that have never been seen in Mario before. They call the development yeah. improvisational, and that's a really good word for it, I think. Like, well, yeah. how do we do this? No one has ever done it. We're the first, I guess, so let's figure it out because, like, yeah. no one else is going to, well, except for Bubsy. It is improvisational, <laughs> but they're not just, like, they don't just put shit out just because they're like, hey, yeah. we tried it. Let's just, they, they, 
And uh, so in that yeah. sense, it's very different than Super Mario Maker. Yeah. <laughs> like oh. I, I, I don't live in a world where I got that. Early, I'm not so in the one percent yet yeah. either. Oh. So, even though I am a games journalist, it's really nice up here in the Ivory Tower. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a delightful place I miss to be. It. I miss it. Uh, I was gonna say, as a total aside, uh, Captain Toad Treasure Tracker feels like it, it kind of has some of those elements of improvisation. And mm. we're doing a new thing. Let's throw some interesting things in there. I like that mm-hmm. game a lot. It's mm-hmm. so good. Yeah, yeah. That game, yeah, that was a really great game. But I also, this was the first Mario game that introduced the timed power-up, too. It got, right. rid, of, mm. it got rid of the permanence of power-ups, which I, I get in the structure. The structure of Mario 64, you can't have the hat forever. Like, that would be, that would just be wrong. And also, you can't shrink or grow. You just have a health meter. So that makes sense, too. But I did miss having, you know, fireballs and, and raccoon tails and stuff. I think, the hat's um, okay. But I think that was a yeah. cue they got from Yoshi's Island, where it's like, you are Yoshi helicopter for 30 seconds, do this thing, or sure. you are Mar- baby poop Super Mario, do this thing. <laughs> I mean, Yoshi could spit, like, watermelon seeds and stuff, but I think that they, they have a fondness for those time power-ups, where it's like, here's a tiny obstacle course we, des- we design using this skill only. Yeah, I, I, think, I think the timed obstacle or the time power-up um, I, I didn't connect it so much to Yoshi. I feel like it was just a solution to the question of how do you give someone the ability to fly in a finite 3D space without completely breaking it. Yeah. Um, and I, I, you know, I'm not crazy about time power-ups, and I'm glad that the Mario Land, you know, 3D Land, 3D World games have moved away from that. But, um, you know, I respect the fact that they at least made the effort instead of just saying, wow, flying in a 3D space, that's that's going to break the game, so let's just not do it. Yeah. They, they came up with an alternative solution that maybe isn't super elegant, but sure beats them just saying, ah, too bad. It was very yeah. ambitious, yeah. So um, I did want to mention, like, the camera that Jeremy brought up where it's like this can- – the idea of a video game camera was a new idea for people. Like, no one was complaining about cameras at this point in time. Uh, so, like like Jeremy said, the, the camera is a character that – I think he's introduced before Mario. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like this is the one of the Lakitu brothers live on the scene. Like, he's, he's literally videotaping your adventures. And, like, if you walk in front of a mirror, you can see him behind you. So, like, the camera itself is a character. It's kind of like Cambot on Mystery Science Theater. Uh, <laughs> thanks to my girlfriend for pointing that out. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah. That's an easy way to get uh, – I mean, the listeners of this will totally understand that reference. Yes, because yes. we're all in our mid to late 30s. Right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, so, like, again, no tutorial. It's just, like, have fun in this in this big uh, open space. And, like, the idea of it being, like, a relatively uh, – I mean, there are goals, but letting the player find the goals is pretty interesting because I was reading, like, um, Crash Bandicoot came out this year too, I believe. It was 96 mm-hmm. as well. Oh, it was yeah. the big mm-hmm. – yeah. I bought so many magazines that were the cover of, like – who will win? Knights, Crash, or Mario? Knights. That's the Ross Perot, oh, uh, Ralph Nader, Dark Horse. I, I've, I worked with a very defensive Knights fan who, when I told him, like, I don't think Knights is very good and it really fails in comparison to Mario 64, he's like, that was the marketing. It should never have been compared to that. They even made that 3D walking around stuff in response to Mario 64 when they shouldn't. It just should have been the flying Time around attack. stuff. Yeah. yeah, I totally agree. When you think of Actually. when you think of Knights as a flying arcade uh, like a timed arcade game with flights, like then it's sure. Yeah, but it's, they, by his own admission, they included 
elements that were a response to Mario 64. So at that point, it's difficult not to make the comparison. <laughs> yeah. And an analog Sega controller. kind of invited it themselves. Yeah. I think his enemy there is Sega executives ruining yeah. the perfect yeah. vision of Yuji Naka. That's who true. Is who is, who is like, like a god. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Unto so, a god. Well, he'll probably enjoy Rodea then. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sure. Everybody will. Back to Crash. Uh, I remember reading an interview uh, prior to Crash Bandicoot's release and the um, the developers at uh, Crystal Knight, wait, was it uh, Naughty Dog, right? Yes. Yeah. They were like, this was going to be like a Mario 64 style game but when we didn't give the players a path they would get lost and they didn't know how to Mm. fight enemies and stuff like that so the idea that Nintendo was confident enough and and intelligent enough to do this in a way that people could figure it out is amazing to me because like Crash took the easy way out, I think. You just were either running away from or towards the camera. But Mario 64, yeah. it's like, no, no, you figure out where to go. And I find that amazing. Also, I don't know if I'd consider running toward the camera the easy way out. That's no, like the, I, I hate the players. I hate out. that, too. <laughs> I, well, I do respect Naughty Dog for they recognize their limitations. <laughs> unlike, you know, Bubsy, Bubsy 3D. Yeah, everyone, oh, this, why are we beating up on Listen, I recently played Bubsy 3D for a stream. And I was like, no, this deserves every mean thing you can say <laughs> has, about it. Has anyone ever spent... 5,000 hours of their life documenting the ins and outs of Mario 64. Can, has it, has yeah, that game true. inspired that level of devotion? Yeah. Bubsy 3D has. That is true. It's so, a good point. I did learn from the interview, though, this is total side thing, but it's also an interesting tidbit. Like, I, I read that Croc Legend of the Gobbos, a oh, PlayStation Croc. game. That guy's bull. That guy's full shit, man. Are you yeah. sure about that? I, I, sorry, they, they said they said it was here. it was uh, it was a prototype for a Yoshi game, but they couldn't. They, they, the Nintendo did not approve it. So, like, is that is that true or not? Kind of like Commander Keen started out as a prototype for a Mario three port to PC, and the, Nintendo was like. That is no. true, though. Are you saying it's not true, uh, well, Henry? Well, it is true that that person said that. Okay. So in, a, <laughs> yeah, okay. It, it, in an interview with the guy who isn't Dylan Cuthbert of creating Star Fox, who, who worked with them, he, you know, he he's gone on to do something else. When he left working with Nintendo, he made he started working on the thing that would be Croc, and he said it was a Yoshi. It was Yoshi originally, and in his version of story, he showed it to Nintendo, and then he says coincidentally then they start working on Mario 64 I'm like no yeah, I, I oh, bet that wow. they they just worked on Mario 64 for a few months before the <laughs> yeah. game launched even, even if they showed them even if he showed Miyamoto like the earliest version of Croc that still there's no way they weren't working on Super Mario 64 had, before that had is. Nintendo done some preliminary platform game design work on the FX chip yeah that apparently according to Dylan Cuthbert uh, there was nothing like that people had assumed that, uh, based on some faulty statement or maybe some mm-hmm. uh, mistranslation that there was like a Mario prototype using the Super FX chip but that wasn't true the closest okay. thing was like in that Star Fox 2 um that Star Fox 2 the mode. walking around. Yeah, and yeah. then the Goofy robot, which I think is coming back for the Wii U version, right? I call it Goofy Bot. <laughs> I, I do think, you know, the story of Dylan Cuthbert and his team and their, them getting bought up by Nintendo just to teach Nintendo what polygons are, it's a very interesting story. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I like that a lot. But I... That guy is dreaming if he thinks that that <laughs> Nintendo ripped him off to oh. when they were working on Croc. <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't take it as a rip off. I just thought like I wanted this to be a Yoshi game, but it sucks because it's Croc. So I turned it into Croc. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> Croc is not. No one's gonna. No one's gonna stand up for Croc. I, at least I hope not. I'm it gonna, it I'll took find a long soon. time before a game even slightly comparable to Mario 64 showed up on another platform. Um, PlayStation I don't could barely handle it. I don't think Saturn ever had anything no. on that scale. I mean, I honestly think uh, let's Ape say Escape. that, that yeah, Knights say is Ape not Escape. meant to be mm-hmm. that kind of game. It, it was did meant have as a Tomb time Raider, time. but that's not really. No, Tomb Raider is a yeah, that's a different experience. Yeah. Um, 
I would say Spyro the Dragon was PlayStation's first like satisfying. Mm, that's, that sounds platformer. right. Yeah, it was. It was really. It was well done. I mean, it had too much collecting of things that you had to go searching for blindly, but. Uh, as a platformer, it was actually really well done. Hmm. And that was 1998, I want to say. So that's yeah, two years. it took a few years for that yeah. to happen. So we're back from break, and apparently Henry Gilbert has cracked open the Legend of the Gobos for us in this Retronauts <laughs> exclusive. Henry, what's happening? Uh, well, so I wanted to double check on the whole – so the, the thing with Croc versus Mario 64. So this is from a Eurogamer interview with Jez San and several other people behind uh, the Super FX chip and Star Fox. And so they're talking to Jez San about the side company he made, and he mentions that uh, – he mocked up a prototype, a 3D prototype using Yoshi, and now I'm just getting into quotes from Jez here. It was essentially the world's first 3D platform game and was obviously a big risk. Nintendo had never let an outside company use their characters before and weren't about to either. <laughs> this is the moment the deal fell apart. The later game, uh, we later made that game into Croc, and uh, then moving on, uh, the similarity between Croc and Super Mario 64 wasn't lost on Jez. And uh, Miyamoto-san, uh, this is another quote, Miyamoto-san went on to make Mario 64, which had the look and feel of our Yoshi game, <laughs> but with the Mario character, of course, and beat Croc to the market by around a year. Miyamoto-san came up, uh, came up to me at a show afterwards and apologized for not doing the Yoshi game with us and thanked us for the idea to do a 3D platform game. Wow. What? I think I, <laughs> I don't want to call somebody a liar, but I'm just saying that's really hard to I believe. I find it a little hard to believe. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's a tough one. It's hard to believe that Croc inspired Mario. <laughs> or and like came to the market a year later. Wasn't, and Wasn't the idea of a 3D platformer like an inevitability? Like, of course you're going mm-hmm. to be moving in 3D space. Not like, I invented three dimensions. I invented the Z-axis. We made the, the first one and we showed <laughs> it and it had Yoshi in it and they didn't want it. So well, Mario 64 wasn't even the first 3D platformer, Mm-mm. right? No. I mean, I mean, no, we had I mean, Jazz, the, Jack Rabbit, and and some was other. Was Jazz, Jack Rabbit in 3D? There was uh, there was Jumping Flash in 1995, yeah, and that Flash. was based. That's on what exacts. I was thinking of. Okay, okay yeah. sorry, sorry. Yeah, and then that was that was based on a six, x68000 game called Geograph Seal that came out in like 1993, and that wasn't polygonal 3D, but it was still a 3D platformer hmm. in that sense of the word. So, yeah, it's not like Nintendo invented the 3D platformer. Just like Super Mario Brothers did not invent the 2D platformer, mm-hmm. it just made it just amazing. Made it yeah. I'd much yeah. rather play that than Pac-Land. Pac-Land. Yeah. Yep. So, like, one thing I forgot to write down, I just remembered uh, as we took our break, was the the whole, like, uh, 
floating head uh, tech demo yes. at the beginning. Like I feel like with every new hardware generation, it's like here's our here's our new old man head to show you. <laughs> so that's that's like the benchmark for any like graphics card, like an old man's face. But in this case, it was Mario's face, probably at, at a much lower polygon count than it is now. No, in, definitely at a much lower polygon Absolutely. count than it is now. But it was like all the polygons were dedicated to his face. You could pull his face. You could freeze like was, where you it was pull it. Ghoulish. It was. You could make him like so like just like mutilated and gross. But like apparently. In the Giles Goddard interview, or Giles Goddard rather, um, there was nothing in the instruction book. Like there was no like um, like oh play with Mario's face. It's just something that you would naturally do on the title screen by like messing around with the controller. Like just like you touch a button and a little like hand appears. You can grab Mario's cheeks and like pull them. It's so cool. Like, and he reacts to it too, which is right. the best part. Yeah, he, he, like, like, he, he like looks at you it. Or it's intuitive because the cursor appears, and you know it's meant to like grab the start button and start the game. But his eyes and face follow the cursor, so of course you want to see. Yeah. Yeah. how the cursor interacts with him. That is cool. I mean, like, I spent so much time just on that screen because yep. the idea of just, like, moving polygons around was so novel. Just, <laughs> like, uh, it's it's crazy. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm moving around 3D shapes. It's great. And, and his head at the time looked about as real as Mario's head was going to look. Like, as much as off the page of the pre-rendered, you know, photographs of him you'd see. Yeah. And also that Mario head is kind of where Charles Martinet enters the picture. Yes, thank you. Because that head was pretty similar to a trade show Mario polygon head that Nintendo had made to show off, I guess, their similar polygon stuff. And they hired Charles Martinet as the actor to be Mario for live interactions, basically like a <laughs> Disney, like you'd see at a Disney park where you walk by somebody and then right. start talking. Yeah, I mean, if you've been to trade shows, like Mario's voice was not uh, new to you, but like... Mm-hmm. We had never heard what Mario sounded like within the context of a game. There yeah, were cartoons. He always sounded like Lou Albano. Yeah, I was like, yes. hey, hey, Luigi, I'm a Mario brother over here. <laughs> like, that's what he sounded like in the cartoon. Pizza I, pasta. Yeah. And, and Bob Hoskins. Hey. I'm a Mario brother. There is, uh, the, the term was coined by uh, my friend Chris Antista to me. He, called, he said it was pasta face, basically. Pasta, pasta face. face. This, yep. They're so stereotypically Italian in the, in the cartoons, like... He can't not say, like, an Italian food in, in, in like, every other line. Yeah. That was cartoon Mario to us. Yeah, I mean, like, I think it would reach – I'm not – okay, this is, like uh, – I'm not going to say it's offensive, but I think that, like, <laughs> their version of Italian in the Mario and Luigi RPGs could be offensive to some people. It's just a bunch of gibberish oh, and, like, yeah. hand motions. It's That's like, pretty much. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. It feels like a Warner Brothers cartoon from, like, the 40s where, like, everything <laughs> was fair game. But um, but that's still Martinet. That's still yeah. Martinet doing the gibberish. But, well, and I've read interviews with Martinet where he talks about how – when he was doing those trade show things that when people would ask, like, well, where's Luigi? He's like, he's in the other room. I'm making a pasta. <laughs> <laughs> of course, because what else are you going to do? Yeah. That's well, Luigi's job. Plum, what? Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, like, how did you guys ex- – like, I heard Mario's voice and it was so different than what I was used to or what I was expecting. But I was like, yeah, that's what he should sound like. I mean, did sure, you guys feel not? the same why way? Why not a squealing effeminate man? Yeah. Of course. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, it was, it was important because this was the first time all the characters were given a voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had Leslie Swan doing kind of this Dear Mario. forgettable, I, yeah, I'm feminine Hold on, wait. peach. I'll bake you a cake. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and, then, and then Bowser with a... <laughs> yeah, which is just a oh, slowed a down um, boo laugh. Or, there's one laugh in the oh, game. Is it? It's or sped up for boo. laugh is sped up. Or, yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I also, so that's really good. Also, this is the first time in America that she was Princess Peach. 
like she yeah, it's, it's, it says princess it toadstool peach what does that mean is that right. like, she's signing off like bringing that's a, them together yeah, yeah. got your ears like, on here's good, my buddy? nickname it's yeah. peach mm-hmm. that's her cb radio so handle. Her, her proper name is is her royal highness princess toadstool but her friends call her Peach. And they immediately stopped with the Toadstool, I think, after yep. that. They, they were just not a great name. It's I mean, not. It's, it's not. like yeah. she's named after frog poop. That's not yeah. good. Yeah, it's like, mm. Yeah, Peachy, I mean, her name in Japan has always been Peachy Hime, right? So mm-hmm. it, I, I don't know why they didn't just do Princess Peach from the start. It's, it's even fewer letters, like. Maybe they thought it would confuse the matter if suddenly something in Super Mario Brothers Mushroom Kingdom wasn't a mushroom. Yeah, why would Peaches it, aren't mushrooms. Why would she run the Mushroom Kingdom? It was a hostile takeover. I think that's what happened. <laughs> yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, his. I mean, I wasn't too... I wasn't too annoyed at the time by Mario's talking. I think that, again, was that going back to that living cartoon thing you said, if Mario was silent the whole time, it'd be kind of eerie almost, you know? Yeah, and the most he actually says in Mario 64 is, thank you for playing my game. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty much it. He goes, otherwise, I'm tired. Yeah, otherwise he's like, Whoa. yeah, it's just like little <laughs> snippets of a word or two here and there. Or like grunts. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Ah, yee, and it didn't get old. Like I, I, I like Not imagine really. like that should be annoying. That should get annoying, but it really punctuates the action in a way like the sound effects used to. You know, the first they time sure it, lost sight of that with the Mario Advance games. Yeah, that's what oh, I was oh, going to say. Boy, the oh, first man. time it got annoying to me was Super Mario Advance, Super Mario Brothers Two. I. It's because you're listening to those sound clips, but like captured at real player bit rates. You know, like that probably didn't help. <laughs> well, and it, I think it too. It was more obtrusive there because this was a game that didn't have it in the first place, and now I was just hearing it extra. Well, and also the pacing of a 2D action game is different than a 3D action game. You're performing fewer actions per second in 3D, whereas in you know Mario 2, you're constantly running around grabbing enemies, picking them up, throwing them, picking up plants, you know, grabbing radishes, ducking through doors. And every single one of those things that you do in that game suddenly has a sound effect attached to it. It's yeah. really annoying. <laughs> yeah. They calm down with that after a while. Um, so, like, we talked about the level design. I think this is really important because it, like, really confident right out of the gate. Like, you, you jump into a painting to select a level, and um, a- immediately you have a bunch of vague goals in front of you. Like, and some some of them are just, like, very mysterious. Like, knock off the, like, knock off Chomp, Thomp's chip off his block or something like yeah, that. I don't know. Yeah. Like, we, like, very, very vague, vague, like, kind of steering you in the right direction. But when you're in that level, you can, you can go for whatever star you want to, which is something they would change for Mario Sunshine that I didn't like. Like, these levels were made for you to um, basically just explore and play and if you found the right goal that's fine if you found a different goal hey it's even better because now you figured something else out which I think uh, that's so confident they they, they they could have led players like by the hand through these 3D worlds like no you're doing this in this level and that's what you're doing don't go for anything else but instead it was like no you find another star that's fine if you find 8 red coins you get a star find 100 regular coins you get a star just, just have fun and explore and I think that's a huge reason why this game is so fun and like just feels so freeing you know just to run around in these worlds and does yeah. anyone disagree with me? No, I, I right. yeah, I do <laughs> like that it's a big playground. I think I like the more directness though of later games like in Galaxy, and I think it's almost it's definitely too direct to an extent in the 3D world and 3D yeah. land games. But when it's so open, I definitely had trouble. The, the hundred coins ones were always hard for me. You have to be ones. very like meticulous and plan things out because once coins disappear, uh, you can't get them anymore. Right, but uh, I mean, it was it was really kind of like the the difficulty of the stars was progressive and, and sort of tiered. That is true. Yeah, like you were not meant to do the hundred coin challenges your first time through a stage. It was after you'd been through a few times and really got a sense of the lay of the land and could think, you know, like what's the best way to go about this? Um, and I liked I liked the improvisational nature of 
of the uh, the coins or not the coins, the stars, because you would go into a stage and maybe you'd think, oh, well, I should go after this star. But then you'd get in and you'd see another star, another opportunity someplace and say, ah, no, I think I'll go after that one instead. So, mm-hmm. you know, you would you would kind of uh, just you were free to change, you know, on, on a whim to take a different approach to a level. And I, I enjoy that. That sort of freedom is uh, very relaxing. Yeah. Yeah. Though they would sometimes have, you know, ones if you like did the Cooper race, that's what you had to do. You That is true. You but... couldn't get you couldn't get off the path of the Cooper race. Oh, sure. I mean, there were some where yeah. that was it was more constrained, but you know, for the most part, in in general, like you you had kind of a choice. Yeah, at the same time, they also had the Bowser levels which were just like here is it like an explicit obstacle course. We don't need to create like the 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 um the idea that you're in this world and you're just living in it. Here is just like a bunch of platforms and a bunch of fire and a bunch of obstacles. And those are really cool too. They, they do remind me of the Mario Galaxy stages where yeah. they don't have to make sense. Like the, the mountains and the snow fields and like the desert, they have to kind of make some kind of sense as in like this is an environment Mario just happens to be in. With the Bowser levels, it's like, no, no, this is just a crazy series of platforms. Just have fun with them. And I like that a lot. There are these two different kinds of levels happening in this game, which I think is a really cool idea. And there's almost kind of a narrative excuse for that as well, which speaks to the whole idea of, you know, there's a narrative reason for the camera. There's a narrative reason for all of the things happening. And that is specifically Bowser's hanging out in this area. So, of course, he's made a specific obstacle course for you to have to get through it, as opposed to there's just magic in this castle. That's where all these other worlds kind of came from. I I guess that comes through the dialogue. Like, I've created a special challenge for you, Mario, or something like that. Yeah, he says something along those lines. Yeah. Yeah. I do like when you enter the castle, he's like, everything's fine here. Go away. (laughs) (laughs) That's something we should bring out. Like, the castle, this is something that I think, like, we were just so in love with the idea of exploring 3D spaces, even if we didn't need to. Like, the future was going to be us walking into a virtual Walmart, filling our virtual cart, walking through (laughs) virtual aisles, instead of just picking something from a menu. Mm -hmm. This could have easily been a world map, but this, the idea of exploring a 3D space was so novel. Like, I want to go into these different rooms. I want to look for secrets. And the castle had secrets. Yeah, it did. The slide level. Yeah. Itself, yeah. yeah, and it was it, it's still fun to explore. Like I like the idea of this like interconnected like castle where like I mean it is it is a glorified hub for the most part, but there's still stuff to do in that hub, which was really a thoughtful thing for them to do. I mean, does anyone have any favorite parts of the castle? Any anything? I, I like I don't necessarily like the chase with Mips the rabbit, That's but sucks. I like the fact <laughs> I like the fact that they were so in love with like the technology that they had at their fingers that they named this little character <laughs> for a processing spec. Yeah, yeah, that is yeah. cute. Yeah, it's Mips. like uh, it's just you know like I don't know. It's it's just kind of charming. It's, it it's, is a it's, cute it's reference. Them like sort of intoxicated with power. Yes, three D <laughs> graphics. I love the way you get into Big Boo's haunt. I love that you have that to go really cool. around yeah. and and this is kind of one of the very few exceptions to the painting rule. You know, I mean some some of them are walls. You know, some of the stages are walls, but this one you actually have to defeat a boo to get into this stage where it's it's the whole thing is Big Boo's. You know, haunted mansion, basically, and that is pretty creepy for like a fun, colorful game. Like I remember yes. being a little spooked out by that, also because I was not used to you know going through three D worlds and there were just like ghosts following me, and uh, yeah, it was creepy as heck. And there's uh, a lot of silence in that level, and and the music is is eerie and, and sort of it almost feels more like a soundscape than an actual soundtrack. You know, just kind of weird sounds. In the and background. you're indoors in some really like yeah. kind of small rooms, and so those are like the fixed camera areas. Mm. That's right. Yeah, very when, Resident Evil. When I well, when I was playing through them, they were. Reminded, those are the stages that reminded me of Zelda and of what 
Ocarina of Almost Time. Almost a dungeon. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking about that, too. Like, that level where you lower and raise the water levels, I'm pretty sure that could have been a Zelda thing that they borrowed because Zelda was just in development mm-hmm. for so long. Oh, sure. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. But even in the ghost house where you have the fixed rooms, like, they turned that into a play mechanic. Like, the, the mirror becomes the sort of... Yeah. In addition to being able to see Lakitu flying around, you yes. also have to, like, use the mirror and the reflections to to solve problems. Figure out what's what's not right. You know, Sesame Street style. What's, what's not like the others in <laughs> exactly. this room? And, yeah. Oh, it's a level, and it's a yeah. cool level, too. And uh, I think my favorite thing about the castle is the revelation that in the year 2047, Luigi will be real. I'm waiting. No, actually, you've got, a, you've got much longer to wait than that. It's uh, L is real 2401, so oh, we've 2401? got 300-some years left to Damn find it. out if I'm Luigi be is real. Man, we need to freeze ourselves. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, Welcome to the world of tomorrow. <laughs> that is a, that is a uh, internet uh, rumor. Like It's along the lines of reviving Aerith. It's like... Um, People willfully misreading a very fuzzy texture that says eternal star. It literally says eternal star if you look at it. No. But it's like L is real. Get 120 Bobby stars. Uh, erase your cartridge. And then Yoshi will show up and he'll introduce you to Mario 64-2. Right? <laughs> Is that how it works? Yeah. <laughs> I don't well, know. I think that's one of those things you'd get back then because you had so few games that people just wanted to – they wanted to think you'd have more. And mm-hmm. so you would just – you had enough time to stare into the abyss and <laughs> and go mad thinking, thinking there was something there that wasn't. Mm-hmm. And it didn't help that – Games like Banjo Kazooie actually had things like that that were built in and just antagonized and teased people. (laughs) Oh, God, the stop and swap. I was doing hot swapping. Stop and swap. Stupid poop. Stupid poop. (laughs) Oh, for Banjo, that would have been appropriate. Oh, I guess he does do that, but it has to be in the woods, right? Yes. He is a bear. Along with the Pope. Yeah. It's pretty crowded over there. Uh, So, like, there's some other stuff going on in this game I want to talk about. There's, there's like, a weird camera option. This is very, very granular, but it's something I just realized. Uh, I just discovered the other day playing this game. Like, you can choose between two camera options. One is called hold. And if you hold in the R button, uh, the camera stays fixed in one spot in the level. And you can run Mario wherever you want, but the camera will just stay in that one spot, which is really cool. There's, like, no use for it, but it's just, like, we could do this with a camera. Why don't we? Did anyone ever know? I, I think Henry was I asking no me idea. about that. Yeah, it's yeah like, no, that was shocking news to me, It's too. not described well at all. It just says, uh, it just says, Lakitu, hold. And it's like, what does that mean? I don't know what it means. Um... How do we feel about the DS port? It's so strange that we are now further away from that than the DS port was away from Mario 64. God damn. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was a nice little launch game. I I will say uh, when I interviewed Koizumi about making a 3D, about, I'd say like, oh, 3D Land, that was your first uh, Mario game on a portable. Did you learn a lot? And then he's like, it was not our first 3D Mario game on a portable. It was there was Super Mario 64. I forgot I, about Mario Clash. Uh-huh. I, I felt I felt embarrassed. I'd forgotten about it, but it is it is like a port. It's not really. I I think the most interesting thing about Mario 64 DS is the mini games they had on it. That that was really them exploring what the DS w- could do and what it would end up doing. Like little touchscreen stuff instead of instead of 3D exploration in a classic Mario yeah. type setting. I never actually played it, so excuse me if this is a terrible question. But <laughs> were you able to use other characters? Yeah, yeah, yeah that okay. was it. Was four player even? Yeah, it was called Super Mario 64 by four in Japan. Oh, was wow. it uh, Mario, cool. Mario, Luigi, Wario, and Yoshi? Yoshi, okay, got it. And they all—that's an interesting mix. Yeah, and they Yoshi all... even jumps off the roof at the start to indicate, like, yeah, it's on the roof. That was a cool. That was <laughs> a good choice. <laughs> that's I think awesome. you play, I think you play as Yoshi first, actually. You're right. Oh, yeah. Weird. yeah. Okay. 
The weird thing about that was uh, that game was it was like Nintendo didn't know how to make a 3D game on the DS control well. So the early DSs shipped ship with the um, it had the thumb the thumb like pad. Oh, like, the yeah. Franken stick thing. No, no, no it, it wasn't Franken stick. It was like a little thing you put on your thumb oh, and, and oh, used oh, it on the, the okay. touch screen. All the I first see. DSs came with it. It was like attached to the DS with a lanyard, and you just like stuck your thumb in it, and you would like just use it as use the bottom screen as an analog controller. It didn't work. Yeah, was, I can imagine. Bad. The weird thing about Mario 64 DS is that it wasn't really fun to play until the 3DS came out. Yeah. And yeah, the, yeah. the slide pad does a great job of simulating yeah. analog control. Even it's, though it's still digital, it feels really good and natural. I never played it on the 3DS. Oh, you need well, to. Okay, it's much yeah. better that way. I've mm-hmm. always wanted to, but like I, I couldn't do the digital controls. I couldn't do the analog ones, so I just mm. didn't really play it. Yeah, but. it plays really well. That was that was one of the first things we tried out. I, I did a little quick video for it for 1UP that just like became this huge thing like it got so much traffic mm-hmm. and you know it was great because like it was actually fun to play Mario 64 on DS but or 3DS but the, the DS really didn't do any favors to Mario 64 to me the value of Mario 64 was uh, like like Henry said the mini games not for myself but because you know when the, the the DS first came out I took it on vacation with me and my young cousins they were like five six seven years old at the time um, I let them play the game because I thought, you know, they're going to love this. It's going to be really impressive for them to play this 3D game on a handheld system. And they messed around with the actual game for a few minutes and decided, eh. And then they started poking around and found the mini games. And uh, they would not stop playing the mini games. <laughs> and I realized you like, saw the death of gaming coming, Jeremy. No, I was like, <laughs> I the know. DS is going to be huge yeah, if they can yeah, figure out how around. to communicate this. Like. This thing that I didn't care about, this element of Mario 64 that I thought was completely superfluous, was like crack cocaine to these kids. <laughs> and it, because you used the touchscreen and it used all these interesting control mechanisms that I thought were gimmicky. But no, like it's intuitive for people who haven't been playing video games for 20 years. I, I know one of the mini games is Yoshi telling you if someone loves you. <laughs> you, you, you pulled like the petals off the flower with the, the stylus. always yes. Yeah. Aww. Not for me, it wasn't. Yoshi would say yes because Yoshi's a nice guy. Aww. Yoshi, I, you're great. I think it's wrong they invited Wario to the main That's what's yeah. hilarious yeah, to me. Seeing him yeah. in there. I guess they wanted everybody who looks like Mario in there. But yeah. Wario always seems like he's anti-EAD. Like he's not an EAD Mario character. He's a he's everything else, mm. you know? So him, him in that game just doesn't make much sense. I think... Like, now, if they were to make that even, like, two years later, that would probably be Toad, I mm. would think. Mm, yeah. It would be Mario and three different Toads. Yep, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Oh, jeez. And we, no Peach. We can't render the dress yet. She's been kidnapped. She okay. can't play a game. Princess Toadstool, a.k.a. Peach. That's mm. right. She's out. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention, I forgot to bring this up during the talk about the castle. Like, I feel like uh, this was kind of, like, an obvious thing for people to think about, but... um. I feel like the Mario 64 castle was, like, served as the framing device for most games. Like, most games would adopt that that 3D hub. Like, I think they figured it out and everyone was like, oh, yeah, of course, that's how you do it. Like, that's how you select levels in a 3D space. Like, I, uh, am, I, am I crazy for thinking this? Like, no, I just, that was really common for okay, a long yeah. time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And people don't do it anymore, I don't think, because the way games move ha- have changed. But, like, every game had that Mario 64 hub from, like, um, Ratchet and Clank and, like, things you would never expect. Gex, Spyro, enter yeah. the gecko. Yeah, that too. <laughs> Probably Croc. Did, did anyone play Croc? <laughs> I uh, did not play Croc. I think it is a Croc. <laughs> I, yeah, I think... Uh, I don't like even, Croc. Even Nintendo stuck with it, and I think Galaxy... 
2 was the first time they kind of there is a hub world in Galaxy 2 sort of the Mar- spaceship Mario head but really it just goes back to you just zoom out of that like that's nah, some world map just yeah. Yeah. click on which like, one you want to go to and start it yeah no one really cared about that anymore mm-hmm. I mean at least in 2010 I, I guess. miss airships too airships were cool oh yeah god airships there yeah. were no airships in uh, there was a sunken ship in uh in Mario 64. Yeah. Let's oh, no, I was thinking, like, uh, sorry, Final Fantasy airships instead oh, of just... Oh, no, right. uh, I was I was not making references to Mario. That's Although, cool. uh, have there have there been 3D airship levels? I mean, you know, besides, mm. like, Mario 3D Land and World? Um, Galaxy 2 had some airship yeah, levels. Yeah, the airship oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah some of Galaxy the, the so battlefields good. and stuff. I love Galaxy 2 so much. Oh, so but, good. But, but it, it makes me want to kill people. It's just <laughs> me too. the most frustrating game. <laughs> Those comet stars, I, I'm not going to get oh, on them, yeah. so I just gave up on life. Favorite levels before we wrap up? I just I'm curious, like yes. what you guys like. I have a real thing for the snow levels for some reason. They're just so much fun, so much sliding around, and like uh, I love the music, I love the atmosphere, I love uh, the enemies, and I, I just I don't know. I, I like I like winter levels for some reason. It must the, be the first the... snow level is great because it's one of those instances where you go into a level and it gives you like the star goal, and you think, oh, I'm gonna go beat the level or whatever, and then you're like poking around and you hop into the house, and all of a sudden there's a slide, and oh, you just finished the level. Uh, it, it's it's one of those kind of like surprise. Here's a different way to get through the stage. Yeah, I forgot how. And you can uh, also drop the baby. You can off the ledge. But oh no yeah, yeah. If you're me, terrible. <laughs> yeah, that level is is so brilliant, and and I think one of the best design levels in the entire game. And it really sort of shows you, hey, okay, we're gonna take the training wheels off because that's the first. It's like the fourth or fifth, I guess, stage in the game. Um, and we're gonna take the training wheels off in terms of if you fall off, you actually fall off and die. But it's this really sort of gorgeous chunk of, of floating land where there's all these little surprises and all these little things. Um, and it has the kind of personality that's not in every stage of the game, like the mother penguin and, and sort of the, you know, yeah, the penguin like, that you have to race. And, and there's sort of a little bit more personality and specificity to that, that level than some of the others. Yeah, yeah it's so that's so, cute. That's so cute, yeah. And the and that song, like the I I don't know the names of songs, but the the one for the race when you're going yeah. down down the slide, like that. Yeah, that's yeah. one of my favorite Mario songs, and it's that's, come back. That's Miyamoto times. putting his love for banjos into action. Finally. Oh yeah, there it was. I've heard him play that, not in person though, but mm-hmm. on a Nintendo CD. I also like Jolly Roger Bay, not just to uh, throw out an sure. obvious one. It's very atmospheric. I love I love swimming super deep in that water, and the eel comes out and everything. It's very atmospheric, kind of spooky too. Um, how about everybody else? Like, do you guys have any favorite? Favorite Mario 64 levels, and let me know why. I'm just curious. Hazy Maze Cave. Hazy Maze for Cave me is is a huge one. Again, like I I sort of hinted at earlier, I just loved how many secrets and surprises and sort of weird things were in that. You had the, you know, the sort of Indiana Jones nod, the boulder run, and in, in one part of the level, you had the hidden area with the dinosaur, and that actually you know goes into an area where you get a power up. Which Was that the first is kind one? With the with the metal cap? Was it the yes, first? Yes, that's okay, where you yeah. that's where you go and actually activate the metal cap. So there, there's 
there's so much reward for exploring in that in that particular stage. And I am the kind of person who loves platformers that do that, that really reward you for kind of going out on a limb and going a little bit further or doing sort of weird jumps. You know, there's another star in, in that stage where it's just wall jumps will work. That's the only hint you get yeah, at the very beginning. Right. And it's it's doing kind of these funky jumps that you just sort of had to pay attention to where – you know, you it looked like you could do a bunch of wall jumps, and there was sort of a hint of a star up in the corner. Yeah, Mario 64 brought forward the Super Mario World concept of doing a thing that would then cause global changes yes. throughout the game. Yeah, I love yes. that. Permanently change. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's something that, that really I haven't seen in the Mario games probably since Mario 64. Yeah. Um, that, that really, yeah, like it, it gives you a great incentive to go back to, you know, Baba Battlefield. Absolutely. And say, oh, look, now there's, you know, this, this thing that I can do that I wasn't able to do before. Yeah, maybe yeah. they felt that was redundant because they're like, yeah, you're going back to these stages all the time anyway to try to get another but star. But it's it's. Great to give you incentive to go back and look and to yeah. change things yeah. up so it's not just you running through the exact same stage the same way every time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think one – I don't want to commit to it being my absolute favorite, but I did like <laughs> Womp's Castle uh, – or sorry, Womp's Fortress uh, a yeah. lot. I, I I like the the boss – I didn't love every boss battle in, in Mario 64, but that's one of my favorites. And it is so simple of just you run under his legs, he falls down. But I, I, so there's something about the Mario boss design of such obvious weak points, but expressed in a cute way of this just big Band-Aid on the back yeah. of this box. <laughs> How did he get that on there with his tiny hands? I know, right? Tiny I, I arms. Would, I would Somebody say, had to help him. Well, he's the, he's the boss, man. He just commanded them to do it. Go on hospital, back. you know. And, I've, and I think I may love it more because it got a full remake in Mario oh, Galaxy great, 2, yeah. which oh, was yeah. a really cool stage. Uh, but yeah, I think that's Wasp Fortress is up there for me. How about you, Jeremy? It's been a long time since I've played past the first few worlds in Mario 64, but I do remember really liking. I don't remember the name of the, the level, but the one where enemies were large, uh, tiny, that, tiny, huge island. Yeah, yes. that's right. Because it, it, it was oh, yeah. this refreshing return to cool the, the giant island of Super Mario Brothers Three, which was always one of my favorite. NES gimmicks was like, oh, now the enemies are twice as big as they're supposed to be. That's crazy. And uh, that that disappeared for a long time. And then it came back for uh, Mario 64. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, with the the, the 3D visuals, it really created this sense of scale. Like, you are tiny Mario in a big world. Uh, I thought that was a Mm -hmm. really effective use of... The ease with which you can change the scale of things in 3D. Yeah, yeah, I like that. And I did that one. It started. You could like walk between them instantly, right within the stage. Mm-hmm. Like it'd be the same layout, except everything was huge or normal size. Mm-hmm. Which and you could enter the stage either as a tiny Mario or a huge That's Mario, right. which is yeah. also really really cool. That is cool because yeah. the, there be, there be two different paintings, right? Like one. That's had, right. Okay, yeah, cool, man. And, and sort of on either end of a little hallway. So yeah. and yeah. I do forget the name of it, but the. Uh, the lava stage where you have to surf around on the on the Koopa shell. Oh yeah, that was like hot, hot something. Yeah, yeah. Hot, hot something. <laughs> yeah. I, I did like that one too. That was a fun one. So uh, before we wrap up, I do want to talk about like uh, Danielle brought them up, like watching speed runs. There are really great yes. ones. I would go look up the games done quick ones. Like any year, there was someone running it. People like uh, Siglemic 
and Peaches. These guys are like they have cracked this game open, revealing it for the fraud that it is. Not really, but I mean it's a, <laughs> it's a really early 3D game. So of course they could not account for pe- people playing this over and over for 20 years. So there are so many ways to just land on a polygon seam wrongs and like rocket off into space and like go through walls. It's amazing to see people take this game apart. It's one of the mo- most fun speedruns to watch. And I think I pointed this out on my speedrun episode, but if you don't think you like speedruns, watch a really good Mario one and uh, you'll be impressed by what these people can do. Like, it's it's fantastic. I, I do think for the time, uh, for being uh, like really the first of its kind and having to hit a launch day like window, I think they probably did a pretty good amount of oh, play yeah. on it, but oh, there's, sure. there's really no way. Like I said, 20 yeah. years of people playing it, like studying like how 3D games work, looking at the code, things like that, they could not have possibly accounted for that. So mm. like it is so fun to watch people just like, I'm going to fly up the stairs backwards. Breaking, because, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> so um, it's actually Scott Buchanan is the name of the, the guy who does the no A button or no B button, the, sort of those challenges in the game and sort of you know beats all these levels and all these stages completely without using anything Mario would actually use normally. That's, wow. Those are really fun to watch for Like me. a gun? Like, I mean, it's Mario <laughs> GTA. Uh, yeah, wow. yeah, it's uh, it's rough out there. Oh, Must know, be a ROM hack. There was another <laughs> little thing I, I loved in that game, too, the... Um, the the monkey that would steal your hat, oh, and then yes. Mario would have to run around in the hat. Yeah. But the implication that you take more damage without your hat. So it's the first time we saw Mario hatless it's armor. Well, yeah. Doctor Mario does. Uh, that's true. That's hat. not my Mario. That's another Mario. <laughs> <laughs> <They're>, that's, <laughs> it's I your show, dad's Mario. <laughs> I showed somebody this. Uh, one of the first American Game & Watch commercials. And in it, there's a joke where Mario's, like, hat flies up and he's bald underneath. Oh, my wow. like, whoa, Mario's bald? I was like, no, he isn't. Mario is not bald. That's not canon. He's a, yeah. a fluffy Italian man with lots of hair, you know. He takes off his hat all the time. I find, a, like, if I ever knew how old Mario was, like, canonically, I'd be freaked out. Because he's probably like, he's 26 or something. <laughs> oh, like, no. what? That can't happen. No. That can't he's he's uh, aged backward, actually. Oh. He's like Mork. Oh, is that what happens with Mario? Eventually, he'll he'll return to a child stage. Actually, Baby Mario is looking into the future. Well, we don't even want to get into that. Where Baby Mario and Mario can exist alongside each other and not create some kind of paradox. I've oh. seen Time Cop. You can't touch each other. You turn into goo. Partners right. in Time explains all that away. Okay, but, but nobody played it. So. Uh, I don't like that one that much. Any anybody else? Mario sixty four. Uh, any final thoughts? I mean, like it's great. Um, uh, I, I, it still holds up. Like, I can't think of a, another 3D game from 1996 outside of, like, Jumping Flash or something that mm-hmm. is still as playable as it is. Obviously, it would things would get better. It would control better with future Mario 3D games. But this one still is fun to play, I think. Um, for all the praise that we've lavished on it, I do think there are some areas where it, it does feel you, – you can definitely see its age. Um, some of the later levels where you have just insane platforming challenges, the camera, the control. Mm-hmm. I hate those not, levels, yeah. They're not quite up to it. Like Rainbow Ride is not they, something that I consider fun. Yeah. Uh, I, I have <laughs> never I, – I think I got to like 112 stars when I you know, was playing the game exhaustively when it first came out. But those last few stars are just – it's just not worth it. It's more aggravating than fun. And it's not because of bad level design. It's just the – you know the refinement of the the play mechanics and the camera control and so forth they're just not quite there yeah the camera really isn't uh, up to speed to you know sort of modern standards and and it and it deserves praise for being obviously the first one that kind of got it right but playing it again and i've i've been playing it again very recently and i'm just kind of god i really really mm. want to move the camera another inch i this want to way, write analog you know, stick yeah mm. yeah i would i would love that but 
Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, I I still think it stands up really well. I'd had these arguments where at my old job making lists of the best <laughs> Mario game or the best or, or on this list of the best games ever, what represents 3D Marios? And, you know, I... I would say I would want to have uh, Galaxy or Galaxy 2 on there, but uh, people, there was a contingent that said, like, no, 64 is the best. It's so stripped down, and you don't have any of that extra stuff, and Mario's like, I, no, I think they, I, I disagree with that. I think Mario, they learned so many lessons from 64, and sometimes those lessons, I think, took them in the wrong direction, like Sunshine. They gave him a water backpack, probably part of their fear of, oh, people don't get 3D things. Well, what if he could float a little bit longer? All right, stick water jets on his back. Yeah, I agree with that. Give him a flood. I I think (laughs) the best fix to that they came up with was in the Galaxy games of just just wiggle the stick and he'll spin a little more to give you just a little bit of airtime if you need it. And it it feels good too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I guess a, I guess a raccoon tail helps as well. That does. Similar ways. Yeah, I think I think when Mario sixty four DS came out, I gave it like a seven point five out of ten, <gasps> and made a lot of people angry. The lowest score ever. <laughs> right, but uh, oh, no. that I like. I really stand by that review. I think you know Mario sixty four is a timeless classic. But if you're producing it, you're releasing it as a brand new game, like this is a new product that has to hold up against, you know, stand up against modern game design, it it definitely, you know, it shows its age. And I think it's important to sort of just make a distinction between historical significance and design innovation and brilliance Mm -hmm. versus like, you know, evolution and and advancement of the form. Um, It's not a knock on Mario 64. It's just saying like from, you know, this was the giant whose shoulders everyone else stood on. And, uh, you know, that, that demands respect. But, you know, it, it, you know, it still is a little clunky in places. I, I find it fun. Danielle, you had something to say? Oh, yes. Um, I, I'm going to say that I think the best thing about Mario 64 is just how weird it was allowed to be. Yeah. How weird the, – the flavor and personality of this game is really bizarre. All the sort of creatures in the world are bizarre and weird. And we don't see many of them later on in other Mario games, whereas we see – practically anything else from any other Mario game sort of get trotted out in, mm-hmm. you know, in Smash Brothers or in other Mario games. And I kind of love that about this. This game feels really singular and unique in a lot of ways. And, and in some ways it is is rough around the edges, especially with the camera control. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I still feel like this is a really special game. And I will always remember, I, I actually played this over the summer of 1997. I was 13 years old. And I remember sort of every first encounter with every secret in this game or or every time I figured something out and felt really smart for it. So it feels very timeless to me. And Mm -hmm. I will always love a game that is allowed to be absolutely weird. Those are my favorite games. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I had had the game on launch. I was lucky enough to have the game on launch day because my birthday is in September. So I was able to parlay that into a gift. And, yeah, I played it all the time. I totally was one of those believers in – Howard Lincoln's interview where he said, you don't need another game. You've got Mario 64. <laughs> I got three words for you. Yeah. Super Mario 64. I would look 64. at you and say Super Mario 64. Yeah, you don't need anything else. You, it turns out you do need other games. <laughs> as, it, as it happens. What about Eventually. the dream yeah. team, you guys? The dream team. I had that. I <laughs> the, Where I grew up uh, at, our, at, at my childhood home, I think it's still up, was a poster that I, I believe came with EGM or maybe Game Pro that was the dream team poster. And it was oh. like the, the CG Mario looking kind of smugly over his shoulder, <laughs> and then a list of just every developer mm. from the Dream Team. That you know, if, if, Robo, if Robotech Crystal <laughs> Dreams had actually come okay, out, it, it would have saved in 64. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that was it. That was the Dream Team right there. It could have kicked off, uh, kicked off uh, 80s nostalgia before The Wedding Singer did a wow. year later. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Come on, guys. Seriously. Hey, I 120 stars. Wow. Did anybody else do that? I no. didn't. No. I did not. My brother held it over. My little brother held it over my head. Oh, of no. Like, I got 120 stars on my save. I don't know about yours. but Oh, man. It took months, it, especially as a kid. You know, it mm-hmm. took me months, but it was it was worth it in the end for me. Meeting Yoshi. Yeah, that I is think, impressive. You know, <laughs> I, I just got to experience it through my brother and watching me, Yoshi. But now you look, I watched it again recently. And, the, you know, if you're not starstruck about meeting Yoshi, you're just up there like, oh, hey, eight polygons of Yoshi. Oh, <laughs> oh and I get, you know, five extra lives. Oh, boy, this is so useful Doesn't now. he give you a triple jump or, like, another extra jump he on top you of you? extra your, jump. Yeah, yes, but it doesn't do really that. come in too handy. You've just, already... Done everything. Yeah, that's yeah. like, that's like beating the ultimate super boss in an RPG and getting the best weapon. You're yeah. like, uh, what good's that going to do for me? <laughs> Thanks. Well, and that's the kind of thing they duplicated with the Sisyphean task of of getting Luigi in the first Super Mario Galaxy. <laughs> oh boy, do yeah. Every single thing. I oh, could not you do can that. Finally, be Luigi. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> that stupid Manta Ray level. I hate it. I just hate it so much. So yeah, that was Mario sixty four as it has been decided. Not not nearly as good as Banjo Kazooie, but it's still it's still pretty good. <laughs> I'm just I'm kidding. Uh, you can you can like both things. It's fine. Yes. It, it might hurt your brand to have nuance, but uh, I say screw your brand. It's stupid. Brands That's are right. dumb. Uh, so let's wrap up. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, and Twitch, and also YouTube and other things like Tumblr as Retronauts. Uh, check that out. Remember, we have a uh, a blog post for every episode on our on our homepage, US Gamer, where Jeremy and I have our day job. So. Go to US Gamer every Monday and you'll see a blog post for the new episode. It'll have links. It'll tell you what music we use. It'll have a little write-up explaining the episode and our intentions behind it, good or bad. And also, we have a Patreon. I just which wanted is, to hurt people. I want to make people cry. <laughs> uh, we have a Patreon. That's how our show is supported. Uh, for just a dollar a month, you could be one of our buddies, get episodes a week ahead of time, and some physical goods if you donate more. That's patreon.com slash retronauts. And my last plug is please uh, submit a review to the iTunes Music Store. They don't actually happen that often. If you look at our numbers, roughly 0.5% of our listeners have written one. So uh, you guys you guys can just go to iTunes, like take a minute out of your lives and let us know how you feel about the show. It helps other people see us on the internet and that's important because we want to grow our audience and do stuff that's fun in the future okay I'm done uh, pitching stuff Uh, (laughs) let's do plugs Uh, let's start with Danielle Oh, awesome. Uh, well, you can find me at Polygon.com. I make a lot of videos, Polygon, on YouTube especially. You should go watch those, especially that Banjo-Kazooie versus Mario 64 video where I make some very compelling arguments. <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitter, Danielle R-I, D-A-N-I-E-L-L-E-R-I. And I'm also on Idle Thumbs. You can go to idlethumbs.net and you can hear me talk about video games every week. Oh, and... Uh- uh, I guess I'll go next. Yeah. Hey, I'm I'm Henry, and you can find me on H E N E R E Y G on Twitter. I do most of my stuff now on LaserTimePodcast.com, where I do a ton of podcasts there. LaserTime, uh, Cape Crisis about comic books, Cheap Popcast about pro wrestling, Video Game Apocalypse about video games, and VG Empire about video game music. And we also have our own Patreon which has extra podcasts too if, if 10 hours of podcasts is enough for you. <laughs> nice. Or if you just wanted to support us, patreon.com slash lasertime. Jeremy. And finally, uh, you can find me at GameSpite on Twitter um, or uh, at usgamer.net. Uh, what else? Oh, right. There's GameBoyWorld.com, which is uh, such a bad idea, where I'm chronicling <laughs> the complete history of Game Boy releases in chronological order across all regions. 
And uh, you can keep listening for me on Retronauts because I'm always here. Yes, as for me, I am Bob Servo on Twitter. I also write for US Gamer. Please check us out there. I also write for Something Awful, which is a great site. And I am part of the Laser Time Podcast Network. I'm like the weird like guest character. I'm the wacky neighbor who drops by sometimes. So, <laughs> You're Wilson. Yeah, but you can see my entire face. Oh, see, that's better. Which some people don't like. No, it's but, um, <laughs> but I'm on the I'm on the podcast Talking Simpsons. It's a Simpsons companion piece. We do a podcast for every episode. We started with the first season. That's behind a paywall. But by the time you listen to this, season two and onwards will be coming for free, I'm pretty sure. And if not, I'll edit this out. So uh, check me out there. And until next time, keep wolfing them pickles. Thank you so much for playing my game.